Welcome to the King's Cast. Dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Hallelujah. I really believe that uh, today, it's just awesome to be in his house, but I just really believe this word I have today is, is we know every word is from the Lord, but I was seeking God about a word and then I just really, really believe God dropped this into my heart. And I really believe over this next two weeks, it's a two-part series that I want to bring. Um, and next week, I want to share some stuff as well that coincides practically with this as well, which is some kind of news of what you could almost say as a, as a visionary statement of some of the things that we have been talking about. Uh, behind the scenes in the church, not secrets, but some of the things we want to look forward to. It's always good to have a vision plan of where we're going. And uh, next week as a second part is going to be some of that. But I really believe that God is doing something in our midst, amen? And you can, you may not have seen some of the things that we're seeing at the moment, but for me, I'm so excited every single day of not just that we're just doing church, but that we're seeing God moving. And for some of you, you may say, well, I'm not sure. I've not really seen any of this. I don't understand what you mean by that. But I just wanted to give you just before I start, just an an example of what some of the things we've been seeing. And on Tuesday night, we went to the streets in Cambridge and um, we go out many times, as you know, and we see lots of things. In fact, every single time we ever go out, every time it's very different. And we always say each each night is completely different. We meet many people. But on Tuesday night, we met in shops uh, down Mill Road. We went into shops late at night. And we saw significant healings taking place. Near gone 11 o'clock at night, we were stopped inside a shop, locked into a shop. I know it sounds quite dodgy, but we were locked in the shop. And a man was having his hair cut at just gone 11 o'clock at night. I asked this man if he knew God and if he was a Christian and we got chatting. And this gentleman, I asked him if he had any pain in his body and he had severe pain all in his neck and his back. I said, what's the pain level if I was to ask you? what?" This is while he sat with the drape over him in a hairdresser's. He said this to me, he says, it's 10 out of 10. He says, I'm in agony. I said, I believe my God can heal you and take that away. So we prayed for him. The pain completely left him. He was so shocked he stood up out of his chair, and he was stood there with the drape on, with his hair half cut, with his eyeballs popping out of his socket. He said this, he said, what is this? He goes, this is amazing. And the power of God just touched him. That was the third healing we saw in one night. Third healing. And this is happening just around the corner. This is not happening in church. It's not happening with a keyboard. It's not happening when we try to uh, maybe usher in the presence of God. You don't need it. Because Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And what we've been doing is we've been doing that. And for the last year, I want to thank everyone who's got caught the heart of this vision of the church. To go out onto the streets of our city and to share the gospel. And uh, I just want to say this one last thing. There was one gentleman who came when we had our men's breakfast the other week. After the men's breakfast, 13 of the men. Ah. (laughs) <laughs> 13 of the men went straight out onto the streets after 
to witness and talk to people. And one of the gentlemen out of those said this to me. He says, I have never, he says, I've been scared to always go out. Every time you've talked about it, I thought, I'm never doing that. I said, well, come and observe. He observed. He said, I cannot believe what I've seen. He could not believe that within all the time we went, there was no hostility. I mean, we do get that every now and again. Very rare. But God was moving on the streets. And it was an amazing thing to see. And I just want to encourage you that God is doing something. And it's because that we're stepping out. If we, if we step out, the acts of the apostles, as we've always said in this church, is because they acted. They acted. Amen? I digress. But if you turn, if you turn your Bibles to 2 Kings 18, verse 1, it says this. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Hahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. Amen. The title of my message today is this. It's of a two-part series, as you could call it that, and it's called Preparation for Visitation. Preparation for Visitation. In this story we've just read, it's about King Hezekiah. In a nutshell, it's about King Hezekiah, who is taking the throne to reign as the king of Israel at 25 years old, a young boy. And at 25 years old, he says that he takes over this position and it describes some of the things that he does immediately when he comes into reign. And the first things it says he does, he goes into the temple. And in the temple, he starts to remove all of these idols from the temple. We've just read them. It says he removed sacred stones, whatever you would call them. But people would have had these stones that were sacred to them. Religious artifacts. Asherah poles, these things were removed and smashed when he went in. It's one of the first things he does, a young boy. And he goes in because he wants to reinstate, he wants to be a reformer for the temple of God. 
So he goes in and he removes these things. The last thing it mentions is he removes the bronze snake from the temple. The one that we know in the story in Numbers 21 where Moses was instructed to make this bronze snake. And we'll go into that just shortly. But one of the things he did, he was trying to restore the temple to bring it back to a place where people would experience the presence of God. You could call it, a he wanted a revival to come. Hezekiah wanted to bring revival in the temple to see God's glory and his presence in the temple. And I don't know about you today, but I am a little bit like Hezekiah. And I want to bring the presence of God in this place like we've never seen it before. You might say, well, we've had some good meetings. The presence of God is here. Let me tell you, God is omnipresent. He's always around us. We've discovered that. But I believe that there is times of visitation from God where he will come in and break out in an extraordinary way that's above and beyond. And I don't know whether you as a church are going to move forward. In fact, you could call this a vision day because that's my vision. Whether we put all the practical things in, I want to see God's glory in this place. I don't want to see us try to play a church and try to make everything look nice so that everyone gets a little bit comfortable. Because that is not what we're called to do. I'm afraid if that's what you're here for today, and you like your comfy seat, you like to be sitting in the same position, it's not about that. Church is not about that. In fact, I've discovered that when I'm on the streets and I'm, dis- and I'm out of my comfort zone, that's when I see the kingdom of God and his presence manifested. In fact, sometimes I'm out on the streets, and this sounds crazy, but I see God's glory and his presence come in such a way I think, wow, if this could happen on Sunday. So I want to encourage you today that that is my heart and my vision to see, just as Hezekiah did, that we would see the presence of God in our temple, in our church building. Amen? To see his glory rest. He says this, that Hezekiah faced major opposition at the time. If you read the story, you read a lot more ahead. The king of Assyria was coming and coming against him. And even in this time of opposition, he still persisted and he still wanted to see the glory manifest. I'll tell you this, that in in, in coinciding with our desire to see God move, we will see oppression, persecution, and we will see people opposed. But Jesus, as we discovered this morning, went to the cross. He chose the narrow road. He chose the way that was narrow to the cross. He left the world behind him. We sung it. And he pursued the will of the Father, even though it was the more difficult choice. I want to tell you today that my message today is not to, it's a challenging message, but it's to say to you that actually to move forward is going to be more difficult. To have what we're describing here is not comfort zone Christianity. It's authentic Christianity. If you want authentic Christianity, then believe me, we need to pursue this. And it's not just for one, it's for everyone. Amen. I believe that as the message I said today, preparation for visitation, I believe we need to prepare for God to move. I don't believe God just comes in and does things. I know he can do whatever he wants, but if you look at all the revivals, as you would call them, whatever you want to call them, outpourings in the past, God comes to hungry people. He comes upon the ones who have prayed hard. They want God to move because they have a hungry heart. They have a desire to see God move. 
And you can either be in one camp or the other. You can say, I want to just go to church and enjoy it and not be hungry for his presence to come. Because I'm telling you this, this church is tiny compared to what God wants to do. This room is not the end of it. I've said it before. It's not the end of it. If this is the end of it for us, it's not about buildings or trying to get some mega church. It's about people. It's about reaching people. We need to prepare for a special visitation from God. He's here now, but we want him to visit and touch people's lives in a greater way. I believe that it required hunger, preparation, and cooperation. People needed to cooperate with Hezekiah. Hezekiah couldn't do it all on his own. He needed people to cooperate with him. How hungry are we this morning for God to move in our midst? Author John Piper says this, an interesting quote. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world, your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. That's an amazing bit of word that John Piper brings there. Then I believe it's true for us. Are we prepared? Have we been nibbling too long at the table of the world that our, our stomachs are full and we don't want any more because we're full of the little things. But I want to tell you there's a great meal from God. There is a great thing that God can give us. There's not just little snacks through the day that you've filled yourself upon in the world. But it is a meal that is supreme. It is a meal that is the glory of God and his presence manifest among us. I don't know what you want. Do you want little fill? Do you want snacks through the day just to get you through quick snacks? Quick sugar rushes? Or do you want the authenticity, authenticity should I say, of the gospel of God in this place, changing lives, repentance? Because that's what it's about. That is what it's about. We've prayed in this church before that this carpet will be wet at the front with tears of repentance. I pray the carpet will get destroyed, not that it will be better. I pray that people will come in here and want to know what it is to have the Holy Ghost living inside of them. When we go on the streets, people are so knocked back by the presence of God. They say, what is this? We say, you can have him living inside of you. Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus came to die on the cross so that you could have his Holy Spirit inside of you? They've never heard this. They've never heard it. Because they just think that going to church is just going and sitting in a chair and listening to, to, to someone speak and singing a few songs. But God wants to fill you with his Spirit. Hallelujah. The part one of this message is all about seeing God's presence visit our place. Preparing for the visitation of God. The second part that I'm going to talk about next week is preparing for people to visit. You see, a lot of people I've met seem to be very inward looking sometimes about church. We talk a lot about what it is to have what we want in church. But let me tell you this, that when God is lifted up, when his presence is among us in a greater way than we've experienced, people will come. People will come. You see, when Jesus is lifted up, he draws men to himself. 
I don't have to make any fancy flyers to make people come because God, when he's in this place, will attract people. So I believe there's two things, reason for two parts. One is God's presence among us, preparing for him to visit. And secondly, preparing for the people to visit him. Hallelujah. First of all today, number one, I think we should have a clean heart. To have God in our midst. There's hunger and there's all these things. But the first thing I want to say today is that we need to have a clean heart. Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord just as his father David had done. He lived a life of righteousness. He lived a life that he knew before God he was being righteous. He had a heart, a clean heart, as much as he could do before his God. And some of us today, we preach, and many churches do, the grace card. They preach the message of grace that you are forgiven of all your sins. And it's true, there is grace. But let me tell you this, you can take that sometimes a little bit too extreme. You might say, well, you're totally removing grace from us. No, Jesus says we need to be holy as well. We need to live holy lives. I'll tell you what makes you holy. It makes you holy. When you get grace, you want to be holy. You don't want to sin. You don't want to have a desire to do the things that God doesn't want you to do. When grace comes into your life, when you experience His grace... You will want to be holy. You might not be always holy in your eyes, but you have a desire to be. That is what grace is about. Hallelujah. Paul says this in Romans 6, 12. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? He's effectively saying this. If we sin... Is it making grace look better? If I sin and do naughty things, is it making grace look better? Therefore, I'm glorifying God. No, Jesus. Uh, Paul says, by no means. No. I believe this, that grace, I put, provides us with an undeserved opportunity to be righteous. That's what I put. It provides us with an undeserved opportunity to be righteous. You don't deserve the grace card. You don't deserve the get out of jail free card. You don't deserve it. But it gives you an opportunity. The psalmist says that he's rescued our life from the pit to satisfy our desires with good things. Let me tell you this, that all I wanted to do when I was a Christian, I couldn't understand it. I didn't need someone to tell me what to change. I wanted to be righteous. I kept failing, but I still wanted to be righteous because as I preached the other week, it's a battle between the spirit and the flesh. The grace card is amazing, but it gives us an undeserved opportunity to be righteous. I want to tell you, we need to be righteous before our God. We know that he is our righteousness, but we need to be like him. Challenging ourselves daily, dying to sin, trying to be holy, because we want to live a holy life among others. Hezekiah knew what it was to live righteous. And I want to tell you, if we want to see a move of God in this place, we need to be righteous. We need to have the heart to be righteous. Not If you failed, it's not that you have to be perfect. It's pursuing righteousness. 1 Peter 1 verse 14 to 16. Peter says this, as obedient children, 
Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. He is holy. He is perfect in every way. So therefore we must also be holy. Amen. Jesus' blood attained righteousness. It attained everything we need. But still, we must pursue holiness and a holy lifestyle. Second Timothy 2 verse 20 says this, that we must cleanse ourselves. Get rid of some of these things. Hezekiah went into the temple and what does he start doing? You can imagine he opens the doors of the temple. He goes in and he sees all of these artifacts. He sees the Asherah poles. He sees these sacred stones full of things that defiled the temple. And he starts to remove them out. Second Timothy tells us this in the New Testament. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes. Made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Verse 22, flee the evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the, on the Lord out of a pure heart, a clean heart. Timothy says here, clear out the stuff that's rubbish. Some of us are saying, I'm waiting for God, I'm going to come to the front and wait for a prayer to make me feel good. You know, get the tingling sensation and I leave here thinking, you know, all the stuff's gone. But it takes practical steps to chuck some of this stuff out. You've got to do it yourself. I cannot throw out some of this stuff in your life. I'm sorry, but if you come forward, my prayers are not going to force you to throw these things. The power of God and His Spirit living inside of you will allow you, give you the strength to pursue righteousness and ditch this stuff. But I want to tell you today, if we want to see God's presence come in this place, we've got to start de-junking. We've got to start de-junking and throwing out the rubbish. We've been doing it in our house just recently. I'm trying to decorate the house every now and again. and I've been throwing things out and putting things in different cupboards. Emma doesn't know where anything is anymore. But I've been looking at things and I hang on. I'm thinking, should I keep this? No, we don't need that. Just Let's just throw it. Hezekiah went in this temple and he thought, what's going on here? Our fathers, they put these things in here. If we want to see his presence come, if we want to see revival, we've got to get rid of this stuff. And I want to tell you, you might say, well, I walk in here. It all looks clean in this room and it all looks pretty good. I'm talking about our lives. We are the body. We are the church. Not this physical room. We're not talking about a shearer poles in here. We're talking about ditching some stuff in our lives. Because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the place where His presence is going to come through you. So you must clear it out. He says, doesn't he, Timothy? There are articles in the house that have no use. Things that have not uh, ennoble use. They're not going to bring any fruit in your lives. Some of these things are things that you might say, well, what's my idol? What's my Asherah pole? What is my uh, thing that's getting in the way of God moving in my life and amongst others? And I'll tell you today, there's things in our lives that you might say, well, I don't know what these things are because I ain't got any Asherah poles. 
I don't know about you, but some of us sometimes are sat too busy watching TV on an evening. We sat watching EastEnders. We sat, sat watching junk and garbage on the TV. We sat looking at stuff that is just filling our lives with absolute rubbish. The enemy is blinded the minds of the unbelievers, but sometimes he blinds ours too. And we sit there watching it and we think, oh, I'm okay watching this. Then next time we watch something else, it gets a little bit deeper. And before you know it, you're watching some of the stuff that you never used to watch. Because you let these things creep in. And I want to tell you today that you might not have an Asherah pole, but you might have EastEnders. And I'm not putting that program down. But I'm saying you might have things in your life that are just totally blocking what God wants to do. He wants every single person. I tell this to people on the street. I say he wants you to be a conduit for his presence. And a conduit means he needs to flow through you. If you need something to flow through you, you don't want a blockage in the drainage. I'll tell you, when we, uh, about a year ago, we had a serious blockage in the drainage at the front of this church. And I'll tell you, the stench that came up into this room was terrible. It was terrible. And we had to get the people in, discover what was wrong, and try to get them to clear it. The law wants to clear some drainage systems. He wants to clear us. Get rid of the blockages. Because for him, you might not smell it, but there's a stench of sin that arises to him. He sees these things in our lives and thinks, why, oh why, when I've given you my salvation, why, oh why, when I've given you this grace, do you go back to these things? The Bible says, when someone goes back to these things, it's like going, a dog going back to its vomit. And some of us are like dogs going back to the vomit, looking at something that's so terrible, but yet we see a desire in it again. Clear it out. Clear it out. See, Hezekiah said he did what his father David did. His father was not David. His physical father was not David. It was Hahaz. He was talking about a father, a spiritual father passed in the line. He was saying, I saw that David was a righteous man. He had a man after God's own heart. And he was saying, that's who I want to be like. His father Hahaz had failed in many ways. Don't we all? But he was saying it almost like he skipped his natural father and he was talking about a father who was righteous and a man after God's own heart. How many of you know that David, even a man after God's own heart, even a man who pursued righteousness failed? Even a man who did this committed adultery and he failed, but yet he was a a man after God's own heart. Don't look at yourselves today saying, I can't be that person, I can't be righteous, I can't even look past in my past. Listen, people have failed all through the Bible. The Bible is full of failed people. It's full of people who never hit the mark. It's not full of people who did a really good job and you've got to try and get into line with them. It's full of failed people except Jesus. Except the one who gave his life for you and for me. Amen. Hezekiah says, I want to do what's right. I want to do what's right like my father did. Like the one in the past I remember that I read about. The one, David, who pursued righteousness. He wanted to do things. He really wanted to have a a righteous heart. 
and a clean heart before God. He might have failed, but I saw that there was a desire. Let me tell you, the key is this, desire. I'm not looking for a church who looks all rosy and, and smart and everyone looks like we're good Christians. We want authenticity. People who dare to say to me, do you know what? I failed. I failed and I need help. Because this, these are the types of people that God is looking for. The ones who have a repentant heart. The ones who say, I want to change, you know. I want to change and I want to be different. The enemy tries to get us not to dare to tell anyone our problems. It's not about, we're not talking about confessions and you come in and always confessing. But the Bible says we must confess to each other as well as to God. I want to tell you to get around those people who are righteous as well. People who are pursuing righteousness, should I say. Get around these people. Get around the ones who want this heart. A clean heart. Because if you get around the people who don't want this, they will contaminate you. Before you know it, you will be contaminated. But get around those who know what it is to struggle. They know what it is, but they want righteousness. I want to tell you, get around some of these people. Because God is not looking for you to look perfect before he can start pouring his presence out upon you. He looks at the heart, not on the outside. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. I don't know today, you might come here thinking, oh, I'm, I'm this person and you don't know me and look at me, I've got my life together. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter how good we look today, it's our hearts. God can see right now into every single heart. The reason why is because he created us. He sees deep in your sinews of your heart, your soul, and he says, I'm calling you son, daughter to me. There's only you who knows your heart. If we want to be clean, we need to be clean in our hearts, not just our mouths. So many of us can say in our mouths how clean we are. We're pursuing righteousness, we sing the songs, but it's our heart. Does the song come from your heart to God? Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They will be filled. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're going to be filled with the presence of God. You're going to be filled with the things that satisfy you. Hallelujah. The second thing I want to say today is this. First, we must have a clean heart. The second is we must have a committed heart. A committed heart. A focused heart on God. Not just a clean heart, but someone that is focused on him. Verse 4 said this, we read, he removed, Hezekiah removed from the high place and he smashed these sacred stones. He got rid of some of this junk and he cut down the Asherah poles. If you want God to pour out his glory in this place, you're going to have to declutter and focus on him. Put him central in your lives. We used to sing a song in this church, Jesus be the center. Jesus be the center. And for some in our lives today, we have put him off center. He's no longer the center in our lives. He's no longer the true worship. There's some of the things that have crept in. There's some of the things that we just mentioned a minute ago that come in. These false idols, these things that detract us. 
And all of a sudden we find ourselves that no longer have we got this cent- centrality of Christ in our lives. We need a committed heart. When we let these other things in, we lack the zeal for God. I want to ask you today, in your hearts, are you zealous for Him? Are you zealous for Him? Is it when you get up on a morning, do you want to pursue Him? Because do you know what? The more and more I, I'm not even there, nowhere near there yet. But when I get up on the morning now, sometimes when I go out, I'm thinking, how do I see the kingdom of God come into people's lives today? How can I bring the kingdom of God into this person's life? How can they see Jesus? Broken lives. When we were in a shop just the other day and we prayed for the man, there were people in that room as we were locked into this room, they were talking about serious major issues. Asking us our advice. I'm thinking, I don't know what to answer here. Holy Spirit, give us an answer. I don't know what to say to these people. Because these are total, serious, messed up situations. But as we stood there, we just released the kingdom of God. And when the kingdom of God came into this place, there wasn't a keyboard, there was nothing. And the presence of God filled that place. And when it filled that place, the people were wanting to hear more. Some of them were cursing and swearing in shock of the presence of God healing someone. You might say, well, that's not, that doesn't sound good hearing all this kind of stuff, cursing. Let me tell you, when we start to see Jesus come, it's going to be messy. You want it, you want it to be clean and nice. It's not going to be like that church. It is not going to be like this. When Jesus came and he fed the people with the bread, people didn't know they looked at Jesus and they said, we didn't think he'd come like this. They never recognized the Savior amongst them. He was different to what they expected. When the manna came from heaven, they didn't expect it in this kind of way. They they grumbled because they always in their mind have a picture of what God wants to do. And I don't know where you've come from, what church you've come from. I've grew up in church since I was a a baby. I was born into church. I've seen God move in. I've seen God do some amazing things. But let me tell you this, that when Jesus comes, it's never like we expect it to be. It's completely different. And actually, it's completely different for every church too. I think God is a creative God and he likes to do things a little bit different everywhere. He's not the same He doesn't do things exactly the same, so we think, ah, there he is, that's God, we'll put him in the box. There'll be things happening here in this place that have not happened at the other parts of the world. Let me tell you that. There are things that have happened in other places that probably won't happen here, because God likes to be a God of surprise. He's our Father. He likes to surprise his children. But he only likes to surprise the children who are hungry, committed to him, and focused on him. Let's throw out these idols. Let's get rid of this stuff. Paul said in Colossians 3 verse 5, he said, put to death, therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Some of us have got these things in our lives. We're embarrassed to even think about what we do in the darkness, in the secrets of our own homes. But let me tell you this, God knows everything. He's not here to judge today, he's here to convict. He's here to say, come on children, come back to me, come back to your true father who is the truth. He is the way, the truth and the life. 
Some of these idols have been taking precedence over, over us. There's secrets that we can't hide from. All our sins will find us out. My mum used to say that to me when I was a young boy. She said, don't lie, all your sins are going to find you out. I'm thinking, I'll try my best for them not to. She's not going to find out, but they always seem to find out. Hallelujah. The idols in the temple that Hezekiah was dealing with, they took up physical space, but they also took up spiritual space. They were blocking not just the physical space for people to get in there, but they were blocking up spiritual space. There's things in our lives that are blocking our spiritual place with God. He wants to be central in our lives. I want you to note this next little bit, because when I read it, I was quite shocked and surprised that I've never seen this before. But when it says Hezekiah went in, and he starts to smash up these sacred stones, these things that were getting in the way of the temple. He says this, that he got rid of them. Then he got rid of the Asherah poles. He got rid of these things that were totally wicked against God. But he says then that he found Moses' bronze snake. He found in the temple the bronze snake. If you don't know what that means, li- listen to the message. I preached a message on, on this about a year or so ago. But it's when in Numbers 21, when Moses is instructed by God to make this this rod with the serpent on so that people who were bitten by the snakes in the desert could look to this, this physical item to be healed. And you might say, well, what's that going to do? That sounds a little bit dodgy. This doesn't sound right. But God instructed him. He wanted something. But we know that it represented what was coming next. This stick that went up with the snake on was a prophetic sign to say, my son is going to be lifted up. He's going to be hung up on a tree. And you're going to have to look to him in the future. You're not going to look at a bronze snake. You're not going to look at a stick. You're not going to look at something like this to be free from being bitten by a snake. You're going to have to look to my son. And as we know, God, he loves to bring prophetic signs and say, this is what's coming, guys. And the bronze snake is right here in the temple. Right there from Numbers 21. We're there now. And Hezekiah sees this artifact. I don't know if any of you went last year. We went to the um, British Museum. Full of artifacts, amazing place. Looking around this place, seeing some just things that bring the Bible alive. Let me tell you, next time we go on a trip there, it will prove to you that it's not just about God's Spirit proving to you, but it will prove to you that the Bible is real. It is real. And when I went there, I was amazed by all these artifacts. Let me tell you, when Hezekiah walked in, he was pretty much walking in, he was about to throw out this major biblical artifact. How many would love to go down to the British Museum and see the bronze snake? How many would love to see this brilliant religious thing that's from instructed and designed by our God in an, in history? How many of us would love to see it? But Hezekiah goes in and rips the thing apart and breaks it up and smashes it up. He says because the people had started to burn incense to it. They'd started to worship this historical artifact. They'd started to worship something that was designed by God. And they'd started to put this president. You could see amongst these foreign gods, there lies this bronze snake designed by God. The Nehushtan it's called. 
They even give it a name. It's not called the Nehushtan in the Numbers 21. They've not got a name for it. It was just the bronze snake. Now they've got this nice name for it. It sounds a bit like a god, doesn't it? And right there it sits and he smashes this thing up and gets rid of it. I want to tell you today, you might say, I understand, I can picture now. I can see that there's things in my life that are blocking the conduit. There's things that are not right that I know God doesn't like. But I'll tell you what, there are things that God does like that are still blocking your lives. There are things like the bronze snake that you have worshipped, you have put central before him. And these things are good. Let me tell you this, worship in the church should be to Jesus. I go to some churches and I'm not sure whether it is. Because I think sometimes the church, I don't know, when I was growing up, when I was younger, worship was, you never went, you never saw the lights, the smoke machines and all this stuff. I never saw it. I saw people just worshipping God. And some of us today, I believe, are beginning to worship worship. We're beginning to worship something that was designed by God. It's creative, it's attractive. In the Bible it says that we must make the teaching of our Savior attractive. But some of us take that a little bit too far sometimes. And we try to attract the world by the things that we know that they like. And then we start to get a little bit involved. So we've got a mixture of the world and some of the things that we know God likes. And it all starts to get a little bit shady. It should be about Jesus. About four years ago I went into a church. Not not near here, but I went to a big church. And in this church, and I, I don't put it down, it was a great service, great time. But I was in this place, lights went down, it was pitch black, I couldn't see in front of me. And as I looked ahead, the song kicked off. And do you know what I looked, and we, we have the media screens, we have this. But the visual screens came on. These video screens started to show it moving images. I'm not talking words, they were moving images. They were absolutely brilliant graphics and I I, I had a, a desire for seeing gra- good graphics because that's my background I love this kind of stuff and I stood there and all the way through this song I couldn't help but open my eyes and have a look at what was going on on this massive cinema screen let me tell you this I never felt when I left that day all I remembered was these amazing graphics I'd looked at I didn't know where to put my eyes I looked around and there were some people in the room on their iPads on iTunes ordering their next album. I thought, what is this? I love it. But it seems to be worshipping worship. Some things are like bronze snakes. They're designed by God. God gives us creativity. But don't let these things become central. Don't let these things replace who we're supposed to be worshipping. And we want a good, we want in this church excellence. We want the best, don't we? For God. But let's never dis- distract ourselves. Never distract ourselves from making Him central. Psalm 27 verse 4, David says this. One thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek. This is a worshipper. This only do I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Then he says this. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord. And to seek him in his temple. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord. 
Not video screens, not things that distract us to focus on him. The beauty of him, you say, well, how can I focus on something that's invisible? How can I focus on a God that I can't see? You don't have to, some of us substitute what we can't see with something we can see. We struggle, we can't see God, so we think, well, stick a screen up and put a few atmospheric things in to make us satisfied. To fill that gap. Let me tell you this. The way you see God, the way you seek his face, the way you gaze upon his beauties to close your eyes and focus on him. Focus on the sacrifice he made for you. Realize how small you are and realize how great he is. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the creator of heaven and earth. Hallelujah. Sorry if this is a little bit harsh today. But I want us to be ready. I want us to be ready for what God wants to do. And I want you to see, I felt the Lord speak to me this week and said, Behold, son, I'm going to do something new. I am doing something new among you. And I want to tell you, church, you might not have grasped it. You might not have seen some of the things we've seen. You might be thinking, I don't know, I ain't seen anything new. Let me tell you, you have an opportunity to ride this. To ride what God is about to do in our city. And I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. You're either with us or without us. But I'll tell you this. When you see his glory manifest, there's going to be people coming. We need to pursue him. Be ready for him. Hallelujah. You see, Moses created the Nehushtan, this snake, for a temporary purpose. It wasn't for long-term use. It wasn't for the future. Because as we remember, it was a prophetic sign of Jesus to come. It was a temporary measure. Some of us need to remember that some of these things, they're all temporary things. Vehicles to see God. Vehicles to worship Him. Let's not be, let's be careful and not allow some of these innocent, innocent idols to take our focus on, of Him. Our focus of the gaze of his beauty. Everything he is. I'll tell you sometimes I've been in groups of about four or five people worshipping God. Last year I was in a meeting downstairs here. We had Mattersy group down. If you remember. We were in a room, in room one. And I got my guitar. I had no idea what we were going to do. We just rocked up. We had a meeting together. And we sung and worshipped God. What happened in the next hour was just unbelievable. God just came and broke into this room. And we prophesied over everyone and God was just touching lives. It was just amazing. You don't need what you think you need to see Jesus. The test of a church that relies on all these things is if the electric goes, what you got left. Let me tell you that. When the fuse box dies, what have you got in your hearts? When the fuse box trips and someone's running down trying to get the fuse, which one is it? Which one is it? We can't run this without it. When the lights go down, what's left? What's left, church? There's only you who knows that in your heart. Many of you know that Jesus went up to some iconic spot called in Bethsaida Pool when he sees a man, doesn't he? 
And the person's waiting by the side of the pool. And he's saying, oh, I'm waiting here because he's the first one who jumps in and is going to get healed. Because the angel stirs the waters. They'd seen this idol of a place where they could go to. But Jesus says, you can be healed now. You don't have to jump in the water. And what does Jesus do? He takes their focus off some historical place, some place where they're all putting their trust in, right back to him. Right back to him. And some of us sometimes, we're hanging around these Bethsaida pools. And Jesus is saying, just come to me. You don't need to hang around. You don't need to do this thing. You don't need to be looking at something that looks really good and you've heard all these stories. Just come to me. Because I'm the author of life. I can heal you like this. Hallelujah. The final thing today is that we must come with a compliant heart. An obedient heart, should I say. A compliant heart towards God. Verse 6 said this, Hezekiah held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. It says here that Hezekiah held fast to the Lord. He held fast to him. I don't know about you, but are you holding fast to him? Are you holding his hand strong and tight? Because Hezekiah knew what it was. He wasn't trying to do his own thing and trying to set up the temple and try and reinitiate everything to happen. He'd thrown out the idols. He'd done all these things. He had a, a heart to pursue God of righteousness. But he also knew that it was important to hold fast to him. To walk hand in hand. And some of us sometimes we can get a little bit swayed off when we're trying to build big church. And we're not holding God's hand. We're not walking with him. We're not doing it the way he does or he wants to do. Again, we twist the grace card. We twist the fact that we have this free choice and we start to do things our own way thinking God's going to bless this and I've got the freedom now to do what I want to do. But John 4 verse 4 says we should remain in him. We should remain in him and he will remain in us. That means you've got to stay close. You've got to stay close. We as leaders, people here who are trying to take the vision of this church into the way that we want to see God to move it. Believe you and me, I sometimes think, well, how can I make decisions that are going to influence what we're going to do? But do you know what I've begun to learn? It's to just obey God. To do what he says in his Bible, in the Bible that says we must take this news to the world. If we do what he just says, basic instructions, everything else starts to come into place. But some of us do it the reverse way around. We say, well, I'm going to make this model. I'm going to do this, this great thing. Then hopefully people's going to send, God's going to send in the people. It says that Hezekiah not only held fast to the Lord, but he followed him. I want to tell you today that it's, you can hold fast to someone's hand. You can hold their hand and you can grip it tightly. But there's a difference in holding fast and also following. I remember about a year ago at Christmas. I don't think I'll ever do this again. But last year we went, I think it was last year or the year before, we took the children to London. We went down there for Christmas shopping time. Right in the midst of the Christmas season. On the underground, 
Believe you me, I get I get confused on the underground on my own. I have to ask Emma where we're going and which one is it? I just follow her. And I remember going and I was so fearful because I was holding the kiddies' hands all the way through. And I did not dare let them go because I knew the moment I let go of our youngest, especially in the crowds that were on the tube, as soon as I let go of him, he would be lost. And I'm pulling him through and we're trying to get through and all the family, we took my sister down as well with their kids. It was just crazy. We'll never do it again. It was a great day, but you know, just trying to watch these. But the other thing was is that Lewis, he'd hold my hand and he'd say, Dad, I can't keep up. I need you to carry me. I need you to carry me, Dad. I can't, I can't hold on. Because I was running fast trying to get through. And let me tell you this. You can hold fast to God, but to follow him is going to take some energy. It's going to take some energy for you to keep up. It's going to take more than just holding his hand and saying, Lord, just drag me along. Some of us just want to be dragged along. Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. And we're not prepared to move our feet and take some energy. When you walk and you use your energy, you need food to fill you up to give you energy again. Well, you need to be in church to be filled with the Spirit of God, be filled with His food to go and do the work again and to take some steps that are energetic steps. That are not just holding on and being dragged and hoping for the best. The Lord says that he wants us to hold fast to him. Hezekiah knew what it was to hold fast and to follow. We must be following God into revival. Do you understand that? There's some people I know will say we're going to make the box. We're going to create the revival presence box. And say, Lord, look at what we've created. Will you now come and fill it? Hezekiah did everything to the temple, but he knew what it, he, he also cleared the space. He made some space for God to move, not only physical, but spiritual. But he also says that I want to be righteous. I know that it's not just about physical spaces. It's about my heart being righteous and me being obedient to my father. The danger is this. That we think God's going to follow us into our revival box. Let me tell you this. God's got a revival box for us, but he's going to make it. And we're going to follow him into it. All we've got to do is obey him. Be obedient, a compliant heart to him. To say, Lord, I'm holding fast. I'm going to follow you. And I want to do whatever you want to do. Take me into it, Lord. We're following. Is this good? I'm going to finish soon, but... I just wanted to tell you the story, just a quick illustration of Caleb in the Bible. Caleb and Joshua, the 12 spies, they spied out the land, didn't they? They went in. They looked at the land and how many of you know that they came back and half of the people, 10 of the people have a bad report. 10 of the people are saying we can't go there. But Joshua and Caleb have a different view. What does this say? In Numbers 14, 24, it says, But my servant Caleb, God's speaking about Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully. Did you get that? I will bring him into the land which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Let me say that again. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land 
into which he went, he's seen already. And his descendants will possess it. I want to tell you this, that God has given us, and you may not know this, but God has spoken prophetically over this house through people. People have said things to me about what God's going to do, and they all seem to line up. God keeps speaking to me through different people. And I'm encouraged to see what God is going to do. And I know that God has a heart to see us see revival. Because this church for many years, it's not just something we've done in the last year. When Peter was here, we had a hunger for God to move. We always have. We've always wanted it. And I believe that God has given us the picture. He's took us in like the spies. He's shown us a little bit about what he's going to do in the future. And he's saying this, are you going to be ones who follow me fully? Or are you going to be ones who sit there saying, I'm not sure I can really grasp this. And we're like the ten who have the bad report. We're the ones who are not so sure about this. I want to be the Joshua and Caleb. The ones with a different spirit. I want to encourage you church today, we want to have a spirit and a culture in this church that is expectant for God. Hallelujah. If we obey God and follow him, he will take us into our individual destinies and our destiny for this house as well. Finally, it says this, Hezekiah kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. Not only did he hold fast, not only did he follow God, And be obedient. When we go out on the streets, we're obedient to him. Saying, Lord, we want to do what the Father's doing. We not only want to do this, but he says this. And let's just get this right. He says, Hezekiah kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. He's talking about the things he was reading. He was talking about the Old Testament. The things that Moses, the commands. Let me tell you this. That we not only need to be a church of the Spirit. That is following God's direction daily. Is now words to us to say be obedient and do these things. But we need to be someone who respects our word as well. The commands that are written. We shouldn't dismiss the word of God over prophetic words and trying to run on the spirit all the time. It's important to have both. To be guided by his word. And also follow him and be obedient to the now words of what he's saying for us now as a church. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. And it says this, verse 7, and the Lord was with him. See, when we do this, he's with us. And it says he was successful in whatever he undertook. If you want a successful church, just do what he says. Do what he wants. We need to follow his word as well as the spirit. It's so important. This house is going to be a house that is devoted to prayer, devoted to worship and putting God central. But it's also going to be a house where we respect the word of God. We follow what he says. Respect what has been written before because all scripture is God-breathed. Hallelujah. I believe this, that a combination of them two things, a combination of the word and the spirit will usher in God's presence when we obedient to both. Amen. Let's stand if the worship team could come back and be ready. Hallelujah. Jesus says, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love them. And here it is. 
and show myself to them. He will show his glory here if we obey his commands. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just bow our heads. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless, and goodbye.